Mach 3, give me cruise show on 2, 3, and 4. Mach 3, give me start line 2. 5 electric. Mach 3, give me start line 1 and crew show on 7 and 9. Mach 1, crew show 7 and 9. Do something. I hate that place. Super Ops, line 3, Red Ball, Avionics. Super Ops. Line 4 is code 3 for engine vibe. Hey, so I started a Patreon because, frankly, this stuff's getting expensive. Nothing will change the podcast or the blog if you don't subscribe, but if you want early access to episodes, monthly AMAs, episode shoutouts, voting on podcast topics, and all kinds of 20 Years Done gear, head over to patreon.com slash 20 years done. This month's top-tier Patreon shoutout goes to Kevin Traw, Robbie Walker, Travis Barnes, JT Owens, and Delinda Baker. Thanks for the support. Normally, this is where the show would begin. But I wanted to take 20 seconds to recognize an apparent groundswell of support and podcast listeners at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska. Who knew the most exciting thing in Bellevue, Nebraska would be a podcast? Okay, so today I'm joined by somebody that I served with for, oh shoot. Uh, what did we serve like from two, when did you join? Like 2000? Oh, one. I got to Luke. Yeah, so I served with Jason uh, when he was a new airman, and I was probably a staff or staff select um, 2001. When did you leave Luke? The well, I went time? to Korea from 07 to 08, and then I was back there from 08 to 12. Man, we served together a lot longer than I thought. But, I mean, I when I left the 310th, we kind of, like, work separated. I didn't realize we were overlapping a base that long. So uh, Jason was a F-16 crew chief. Did you work F-16s the whole time pretty much? No, unfortunately, I got a, you know, I was at Luke when they were going to send everybody to Holloman. I decided I didn't want to go to Holloman. Uh, so I applied overseas. I got to Lake and Heath. Uh, did 15s over there about safety for four years. And then coming back to the States after England, uh, I was at Seymour for three. So 16s, first 12, 13 years, and 15s the rest. Okay, uh, and then you have recently retired at the grade of master sergeant. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, 20 years and done as <laughs> you know, your, your blog was, uh, yeah. So yeah, did 20 E7 happy with it. Uh, good to be out. Don't have bad feeling, but I'm glad to be doing something different. Yeah. How's that feel that retirement? Has it set in yet? Or does it just it, feel like you're on leave right now? today. Uh, you know, so it's like I'm getting on with that civilian life. I first week out here back in Phoenix, um, I was going to Luke a lot, you know, just going to the gym, kind of going to commissary. Then I kind of realized I'm like, hey, you're not in the military anymore. So this last, you know, I'm trying to wean myself of, you know, just always going to base for everything. It's like, no, let's, let's be civilian. I still have the, the access to it, but yeah, it hasn't hit yet because I'm still getting the paycheck. You know, I'm still on terminal. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, get the double dip for this next month or whatever, but, uh, it's getting there. It is getting there. Yeah. I worked, uh, in the 21st right after I retired. So it felt like I absolutely didn't fucking retire at all because it was yep. crew in 16s at Luke. Yep. The only difference was I was wearing shorts and a beard and uh, sunglasses indoors and walking out with my hands in my pockets, which also made me realize that none of that shit fucking matters yep. because I was just as good of a crew chief, which actually isn't saying much. So, um, 
well, the reason I asked Jason on today is because Jason is fresh out of the military and fresh out of aircraft maintenance. So he can provide at least uh, more recent information on what the culture and environment is like. So that's why I asked him on. Plus, I know him to be a pretty good and smart guy. So uh, I mean, I just don't invite on anybody. Uh, so I do have standards. So I guess I'm really going to uh, ask broadly, um, how is aircraft maintenance doing? Like, how, how is the environment and culture? I mean, it's, it's, it hasn't changed much. I wish it would have from me when me and you were crewing. You, you still have the production pressure on the guys. You know, uh, as a flight chief, that's what I did in my last three years. I had to give the company line, hey, TOs, PPE, this is the way. You know, that was my saying. Mandalorian took it from it, you know. Do it right. I don't care if the jets fly. Sorties don't matter, especially when we're at home station. They're training sorties. Don't cut corners and whatnot, but the culture is still there. You know, it is get the jets up, do it. Uh, yeah, we understand that if we do it by the book, it's going to take us so many hours, but we need this jet ready in a shorter amount of time. So as it hasn't changed, it, it really hasn't, you know, um, we, we say the right thing still, but when a kid messes up, we hammer that kid. Uh, we don't look any deeper than that. Mm. You know, the big thing I had a problem with uh, was production wasn't held accountable for stuff that happened on the flight line. You know, I'm the flight chief. I, I get them for 10 minutes. I say, I tell, I tell them all the right things. Use your TOs, use PB, take your time, blah, blah, blah. That's all I get with them. They go on the flight line, run amok, get a QA fail. I got to explain why they got a QA fail. I'm just like, look, I don't run the flight line. If I did, you know, there would be no QA fails, but we also wouldn't fly as many jets as a flight chief. So we still have that kind of, you know, um, I guess, working relationship between production and the flights, you know. So I wish it was getting better, uh, but it's not. I just right now where we just left, we're doing quick turns mm. at home. So guys are essentially catching the jets, checking tires, sending them back up. You know, we're trying to do uh, some other stuff. I don't want to op second away, right. but we're preparing for things. And I'm like, I get that, you know, we're doing, we're doing operations that in a future conflict we might have to do. Mm -hmm. um, but when we do those you know, quick turn kind of, you know, things, we're sacrificing maintenance integrity. Yeah. Not looking at the jet. So are they doing the quick turns because they're trying just to get sorties for the pilots? Because, it, you know, some of the things I've heard from uh, other discussions was, you know, pilots are showing up to the CAF that are like, they don't have the same amount of hours, their proficiencies are low, plus with COVID coming out and kind of losing the ability to, to fly like continuously. Is that the driving the quick turns or is it really trying to create this this obscure combat capability it's that combat capability you know sorties we we kill it you know at least the unit i was in was a really good unit i'm not going to try to shit all over it it was a really good unit and this stuff is coming from higher up it's this combat capability um uh, you know i'm i'm just a, a retired master sergeant you know hanging out right i'm not a general i'm not a calf commander but it seems like we're preparing for a war that we're going to lose Oh, that's interesting. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. hey. Like a war of desperation, kind of. Yes. If yeah. X, Y, Z happens and we need to turn these jets right away, 
and the enemies around us, can we do that? And it's just like, I don't know what Air Force you guys are in. I just know that my plane can fly really far. So why would you deploy planes in an area where the enemy can hit us? Yeah, that's weird. Brand new, uh, refueling, you know, we got the what, KC-46. It's going really well with that one, too, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a window, <laughs> uh, putting a window in was a tough choice, right? Uh, yeah. We could, we could put a window in or we could use all this stuff. So it, it just seems like, like I said, this is just my opinion, but it just seems like we're preparing to fight a losing war. I just think that's that's dumb. Uh, playing pre-bad defense in football. Well, you know, in the production conversation, I think it was like episode two or three, um, you know, we had an ops guy on and he kind of talked at length about how at the beginning of his career, they would look at uh, scenarios or real world threat uh, sort of uh, intel and go, ah, that's fucking nothing. And then as he matured in his career and more recently, he would look at real world threats and kind of look around the room and be like, uh, what the, how the fuck are we supposed to like address that? We don't have the capability to deal with that. Like, let's hope shit doesn't pop off. So for between what he said and what you're saying um, really makes me feel like, you know, I don't, I don't have any great fucking insight besides the people yeah. I drag onto zoom with me and, and uh, what I managed to patchwork together in my career. Uh, but it seems like uh, we built that hollow force that they predicted we would build. Uh, yep. and the fleet's older. We sacrificed a lot of our uh, experience in, in order to get new planes. Um, and then our old planes didn't go away. They were supposed to go away. So the contracts we had for parts have dried up and we're trying to like miracle new contracts. So the quality of our maintenance is lower because we have less people and the people we do have are less experienced. Our aircraft are older flying uh, more because you're trying to make up for lost stories before the parts you're getting of, are, are not OEM or of the same quality that you had before. Um, and so that's like the broad sort of, you know, from your and my level, that's the hollow force, you know, that's the manifestation of it. Right. And now we're afraid that we can't be the dominant air power anymore. Yeah. I think that comes from 20 years of bombing militants with no anti-air capability. Yeah. You know, when the argument came out for the A-10, again, retired master sergeant, when the argument came out for the A-10, it was like, nothing can do what the A-10 does. I'm like, you're absolutely correct. When it comes to close air support and we got to protect our troops, yes, the A-10 can hang out and loiter and just rain, you know, bullets and whatever. But as soon as you fight a force that has anti-air capability, A-10 will get shot out of the sky yep. just as soon as they enter the uh, air zone. So we, I think from like 2006 to like probably 2014, 15, we were just always going to fight in the Middle East. I think that's just the mindset we had, Yep. right? We showed our force for this and non never ending, uh, insurgent battle. Yep. Against insurgents, right? Mm -hmm. Dudes that have AKs and RPGs. Yep. And we're yep. like, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to beat their ass. I'm like, we should, we should, uh, that, that should be a battle we won. And we, we focused everything on that fight. And then China, Russia, and you know, the other are, you know, our rivals in the world, you know, they, they upclassed. And then yeah. we messed around with the F-22, we messed around with the F-35, we didn't buy enough, we didn't do all the stuff that we're supposed to do. Still got B-52 flying, I still got KC-135 uh, flying, like we're ancient, we're broken, you know? And uh, I will I will counter one thing, We the bodies are getting back. Like, yeah. I, after the flight chief, I had 80 plus guys, I was up to 100 dudes in my flight. So we have the bodies, you're correct on the experience, you know, every time they do the force shaping, you kick out way too many. 
Yep. And then it's whoever's left. Uh, you were there in 07. Uh, 2014. And yep. And we had like one, I was at one staff yep. and I had one senior and I had 12, you know, brand new dudes out of freaking tech school. We had to make it work. So the bodies are getting there. We're gaining our experience again, but it's a cycle. We're going to do it again. We already, we already know it's going to happen. Yeah. And, and it's, and, and it's frustrating um, for a few reasons because you, you know, you're right. If you have the bodies, that's good. But you and I both know that when you get inundated with three levels, your staff sergeants that are already burned out now have this huge supervisory burden of CDCs, dorm room inspections, uh, you know, OJT dragging the new kid out um, and, and showing them. And that takes time. Like you and I both know, much like probably most of the maintainers listening to this podcast know um, that it literally just takes time to grow a maintainer. And how long that takes depends on their mechanical aptitude, their mental health, all kinds of things play into it, how they're treated, what their morale is like. People don't seem to understand that morale will absolutely play into how quickly you learn a task, because if you feel like you're going to get burned for fucking anything, that no pre-flight is ever going to be good enough, you're answering for like cat two minor fails, you're just going to fucking shut down. You're not going to want to participate in that anymore. Uh, so yeah, like numbers is one thing, but experience. And then I'm also talking about like real fucking experience. And that's the thing that the, the career field managers and the headquarters Air Force, they just can't see. Because when TBA is pencil whipped, which by the way, TBA is fucking pencil whipped because people get tired of answering questions about progression. Um, when TBA is pencil whipped, what it does is it belies a higher experience level than there actually is. And AFPC and all the people are making decisions based on, you know, um, the, the, the skill level, which oftentimes the skill level is, in, is inflated. Um, but I want to I go back to something else you said. It was right at the very beginning where you talked about like there's this push and pull between the section and production where the production is held to a quality standard, whereas production is much more held to a quantity standard of producing aircraft. Um, and even though realistically production should have a vested interest in the quality, because we we're talking about repeat recur rate, ground aborts, it, you know, all that stuff. Um, it seems like it's just trying to get iron into the sky is such a driving force that very often quality is a third or fourth type of priority. Um, and it really, it, it goes back to something else. And I, I think I wrote about this, but you were definitely there. And I think you were a, a young senior airman or a young, you know, you're a young staff. No, I don't know. So you remember like in 2004, when our squad, when our AMU chief in the three tenth said that we sucked at BPO preflights. Oh yeah, I remember like, that day. On like a Monday or Tuesday, and he said that all the crew chiefs were going to come in on the weekend and get mm -hmm. preflight training, and myself and a few others gathered both A flight and B flight and put them in the conference room and basically said, "Hey, the chief thinks you don't know how to do a fucking preflight, so I want you to go out and do the best fucking preflights ever." and ground the fucking fleet that doesn't mean sabotage that doesn't mean create things but but i even gave like a laundry list like if the p-dot probe isn't properly sealed behalf's going to have like a 12-hour cure that's going to fuck it over if you yep. find anything in the cockpit remotely missing call it out find the cockpit i found uh stab rivets that were loose and called that out um I think one of the guys found uh, door bushings migrating and those were like not available they had to be shipped in from italy or some shit um 
So like part of that's, I think, I think maintainers can only be pushed so far by the production section that always wants quantity and by an AMU leadership slash section that wants a certain amount of quality. Cause the reality is when you're, you can't, sometimes you can't do both. Like if you're resource well, if you have a lot of really good experience, really good morale and enough people, you can get quality and quantity. You can get both, right? But if you're lacking on those, sometimes you got to fucking pick and choose. And that AMU chief at the time should have known these guys are maxed out. If I want the sorties that I'm getting, quality is going to dip. Uh, and then we basically just uh, skull fucked the shit out of the fleet, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. I was a young senior airman and we broke that. And then uh, just to let you know, the legacy continues. Uh, when I came back as an expediter, um, we, I was a staff, but I was expediting. And then we broke everything. We got a chief removed after that because he was like, you know, uh, hydro leaks or whatever and all that stuff. Oh, I remember that guy. Yep. And then uh, <laughs> you know, that was, you know, you know, staff sergeant uh, Ryan there. And then uh, fast forward, you know, to when I went to Seymour, uh, you know, I was in production for the first time. And then, you know, came down from the group was like, hey, increment drop checks is a 15 thing. Basically like, you know, hey, when the jet starts up, how much do the hydraulics drop? Became a huge issue. So I'm, you know, I'm production super. I'm like, hey, do it correct. Do not, do not lie. Do not fib. I don't care if we have no jets tomorrow. Yep. If it's bad, it's bad. They want us to call it bad and call it bad because I'm tired of being called out on maintenance, which every maintainer never wants to be called out on their integrity or their ability. So I'm like, yep. you're going to call it out? Fine, we'll do it. We did it. We were the only AMU that did it. All the other AMUs magically within range. We had like four jets that were good. We were broke. Uh, I was removed from production shortly after uh, and became a flight chief. But then, you think that was directly related or was that the no, culmination of them not agreeing like, with I had you? Bad, uh, I had a couple bad EPRs from my previous job in safety. Me and my, uh, my E9 didn't get along. So got some markdowns. So they're like, hey, your EPR is a little low. We have too many production guys. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that didn't help. And then, uh, you know, the proudest moment was like they were coming down. That was like, you know, probably 20, I'm trying to timeline it, 2017, 2018. And then, or 2017. And then like seven months later, eight months later, they called us out for some other BS and we went zero FMC, <laughs> you know, and as a flight chief, I'm like, look, I, I don't care. I don't yep. care if we fly. That's not my job. My job is to make sure you guys are doing quality maintenance. Things are bad, call it bad. Um, and that's what they did, you know, and it was like, I was proud of them. Cause I was like, look, there's no, everybody thinks like the flight line is run by production, it's run by the group, it's run by QA. The flight line is ran by seven levels, yep. straight up. They run the flight line. They have all the power in their hands. So yep. I guarantee you, if I'm a master sergeant production super, or I'm a tech sergeant uh, expediter, or I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a flight chief, there's no way I'm going to go catch an X. I did that. I was a staff sergeant for, you know, so many years, man. I'm like, I've, I've signed thousand X's. I did my time. I'm not signing off an X. You call it bad? You call it bad. Especially when it's like a borderline X, right? A borderline X, right? Yeah, you you're know, like, uh... I write this up or I can let it go. Whatever. But if somebody writes the X up, there ain't no way I'm signing that off. And that's what I told my guys. I'm like, look, you're the seven levels. You have all the power. Things are bad. Call it bad. And we did it. And, you know, so, you know, I, I'm happy with that. And, you know, some people like us, you know, you, you sabotage the fleet, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm not. It, it's it's keeping the balance of power, right? It's keeping the balance of power. Because if you put that way, every corner we get cut, Jess would fly. Anything yep. bad happens, falls on the flight. Yep. She gets all the kudos for the sorties, blah, blah, blah. I, no. I think it's also important that every once in a while, like leadership needs to be reminded. I mean, that was the name of the article I wrote is where does the power lie? Because the reality yeah. is 
it fucking lies with the workers. They are the ones that are going to set the tone for what's acceptable. And when we had that, I mean, it might have been borderline mutiny when we got together in 2003 because it was like, we're going to break the fuck out of the Jets. I mean, like I said, we didn't intentionally harm the Jets. We just did exceptionally good inspections because we were told we did shitty inspections. It's like, okay. Um, but part of that conversation was also telling the guys, we're going to work 12 to 15 hours a day every fucking day this week. And by the way, we're probably going to work every day this weekend, but we are choosing our fate. We're not going to be a victim of leadership that doesn't understand what the fuck's going on. Mm -hmm. And they very, I mean, that night, the super like called everyone in when the super started to get wind of what, I mean, I had the, I had that one expire come out and go, Hey, Chris, the hangar's full. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess they can work the stabs on the fucking line then because both these stabs, he's like, well, these stabs look like they'll be okay. I'm like, okay, well then when sheet metal comes out, they will eval them and then we'll know. And if they're not okay, we're going to be pulling these fucking stabs off. And that's the way it goes. I can't control the condition of the jet. And then you remember it was, um, and I'll say his name because I love the guy to death. It was, it was uh, Sergeant Austin, who I fucking adore. Uh, he drug us in and he declared that no one was allowed to write anything up until he personally approved it. And I was like, that shit ain't going to fucking fly. We're going to keep writing shit up as long as we're like legitimate and what, what our findings are. If we, if it's an unknown, we're going to ask for an eval. If it's a known X, we're going to do the X. And I said, you're perfectly fucking welcome to sign off any of these fucking write-ups. And it's just like you said, they're like, uh, no, cause these are probably legit. I actually don't know as much as these guys. Cause I've been out of the fucking, you know, off the line for like seven or eight years. Uh, and then the next day, I think at roll call, we asked, are, do we still have to come in for pre-flight training? Like no pre-flight training is fucking canceled. I'm like, Oh, okay. And then we were, we were hammer fucked the rest yep. of the rest of the week. Um, but I think that, I think those, that, that reminder to leadership, like, yeah, you can have all the fucking rank you want, but we're still the ones that run the show out here. And we will like, you, you, you know, we'll get, we'll fuck. We'd rather fuck ourselves than you fuck us. And like that's, uh, I think snatching that power back sometimes feels really good and reminds them what the fuck's up. Yeah, absolutely. Like and any good leader knows this, right? You wouldn't, I, you know, you wouldn't do this to a good leader. If you have a, your, your production, your captain, your, your, your higher ups have your back. You're never going to do this. That's fair. But, when you have leadership that's running amok and they're just like, Hey, this is how it's going to be. Uh, you know, that's, that's when these things happen. And, you know, that's our, that's the biggest, you know, card that maintainers have. And they always need to remember they have it. These jets fly because we say they can fly. Yep. That's the bottom line. The jets don't fly unless we say they can, unless you're going to get the maintenance group commander to come out here and sign all the pre-flights, catch all the X's. Jets fly when we say they're ready to fly. And as long as everybody respects that, then you do it. But that's where it comes to where leadership needs to have you guys back. Because we know these jets fly with a little bit of leaking here. We let them go with those stab rivets being a little loose. It's okay. Our discretion is what allows the jets to fly because there's no black letter jet in the Air Force. Yep. In the, there's just not. There's always a write-up. There's always something. So you know, either you trust us or you don't. If you don't trust us, then we don't trust ourselves and we're going to write up everything. Yep. So, yeah, totally get that. Yeah, I had, um, uh, and I think I wrote a piece on him too, Brian Ingram. He, um, we had a we had a jet where the stab was like getting questionable for that trailing edge. Mm -hmm. And I went up to him one night. I was like, hey, we need to get, like this stab's 
it's going to be, it's bad. We need to get it evaled. And he literally looked at the checkerboard. And I don't also, I don't fault him for this, especially after I did expire for a little bit. He looked at the checkerboard and said, Hey, it's going into phase next week. Like it was a Wednesday. It's going into phase next week. I mean, we're holding it down on Friday. It's kind of like one more day of fucking flying. He's like, do me a favor, just hold off on writing it up and we'll get it taken care of in phase. And I said, Hey, I was like, well, what the fuck happens if I think I was doing the pre-flight. What the fuck happens if QA hits his pre-flight tomorrow and finds a stab? He's like, well, I'll, I'll take the hit for you. I'm like, yeah, but it's my name in the form. He's like, I'll take the hit. And uh, the jet went into phase. And I don't know if I, I think I wasn't on that jet that Friday. So it didn't get written up, but I was assured that it would get sent. to. And also, by the way, phase should have absolutely found a fucking stab that was like yeah. delaminating on the trailing edge. So I'm mostly absolved for not documenting it. Uh, but it came out. And I had like the first pre-flight after phase. And I was like, hey, the fucking stab is still bad. And I went up to Brian and I was like, hey, the stab's fucking bad. Um, and then uh, I think QA hit it that night and I got a fail and I had to fill out the RCA. And I said, I identified this on this date, informed my expediter, Tech Sergeant Brian Ingram, and uh, he knew about it. And cool. and I I... I I wrote it up that I wrote, wrote the RCA that way and it went up, it went to production. And then the lead super drug Brian Ingram in and was like, Hey, McGee totally threw you under the bus. And Brian's like, no, he didn't like, this is exactly what the fuck happened. I told him he could do this. He's like, I made the call and that's just the way it is. And he, you know, he, he, he didn't, he would had no animosity. He's like, I would have done the fucking same thing. Um, like that's a legit leader who understands that. Like sometimes you got to like play the gray area a little bit and it'll back you up. Uh, that's not the type of leader we're talking about where you break the fleet, though. The type of leader we're talking about is the type that is so disconnected from reality. They think all maintenance should be perfect all the fucking time and hems up people for the small stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, uh, you want to pivot to leadership? I got yeah, a yeah, yeah. Of- fucking, that's a good segue. Yeah, it's a great segue. So it's like, you know, we're, we're messaging back and forth and you're asking me what I want to talk about. And I, you know, I, I really liked what uh, you know, Chief Wright and General Goldfein were trying to accomplish. Yep. You know, they identified that we have a leadership issue. We need to get back to doing mission uh, first, you know, concentrate on that mission performance, job performance, all that good stuff. And I'm like, that's great. And, you know, I'm buying into it. But, you know, when I was in safety and Chief Cody was still there and they came out with the course 14, 15, you that have to- That was the dumbest shit. That was just the and dumbest it, shit. My, my senior at the time, I called it right away. I was like, this ain't going to get done. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, maintainers are not going to do this. He's like, what do you mean they're not going to do it? I'm like, they're not going to do it. They will, they will just sit on their hands and say, fuck this. I'm not going to do it. I work too hard. And they'll just deal with the consequences. He's like, no, there's no way. There's no way. And I was like, watch. Right. And then, you know, sure as well, you know, it happened. They, you know, we had the peasant revolt, you know, what was it 60% didn't accomplish and all that. But that guy, you know, who's like, they're going to do it. And I'm like, no, they're not. You, he was a crew chief, but he cross-trained and went all these other different directions to put himself in safety and whatnot. He was just like, I'm like, dude, you're buying into this. Like, yep. he was like, oh, this is a great idea. You know, everybody should become, you know, chief master sergeant of the Air Force. That was Chief Cody's thing. Everybody should be striving to become the chief master sergeant of the Air Force, right? Every, every airman is just like, it's bullshit. But that dude became a chief. Yeah. Became a chief. That's standard. At 16 years. But now, if I'm a chief of 16, I'm staying 30. Why would I, why would I ever get out at 20? Why would I get out at 24, 26, 28? I, I'm a chief. I don't have to do much. So this dude is going to be a chief for the next 14 years, right? And this is back in like 15, 16. 
right? So it's like 2030, got, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you've got, you got, got another, yeah, whatever. You've got so much time in. And the problem the Air Force is going to have, and the problem they're going to have, and you got Chief Bass coming in, and she's along the lines of Chief Wright. And, you know, I'm like, she's, she's kind of along the same lines. Hey, let's take care of her people. This, you got this middle management that came up under Cody, the E9, the Cody E9s. And they are going to be the reason why we are not accomplishing the mission, why people are still getting out because they're disgruntled, uh, why people will be at 16 years and say, I can't take this anymore. I'm done. Yep. You got this middle management block of all these, you know, Cody E9s who made it through volunteerism, made it through schooling, made it through special duties, never did their effing job, don't know how to take care of people, not take care of themselves. They're going to be the reason why the change is that at the top, General Goldfein, still Goldfein or it's new. No, it's uh, CQ Brown now, General CQ yeah, Brown. Brown. Yeah, I've served under him in Korea. He's a pretty dope dude. Um, and Chief Bass, they're going to try to continue it. And then, you know, you got us, you know, senior NCOs coming up. You got your NCOs that are trying their best. And you got these airmen who are like, yeah, this all sounds great. You got this middle management block that is going to just halt it because that's how they became chief. Yep. And, and that's, that's how it's going to be done. And that's a big piece. Like those people don't see anything wrong with the prior career um, uh, formula because yeah. it resulted in them becoming a chief. So like if you run through the psychology there, they go, there's nothing wrong with that system because it promoted me and I'm good. So why would I want to change this? And I want to pass along my pathway that I learned to other people, which to, in their mind is mentorship when that's not actually fucking mentorship. That's uh, I'm going to teach you how to game the system and get promoted, even if you're not fit, but they don't even, they don't ever see that. Right. Yeah. The most, the most telling thing is when I made master sergeant, you know, I made it at, I sold on at 16 years or something like that, right? Maybe 15 years. So I made Master Sergeant. They had the seniors NCO induction, right? And they had this course. And like, hey, we're going to teach you how to be senior NCOs. I'm like, all right, cool. So we go to this course and I'm sitting there and one of them was networking, right? They had a couple chiefs in there and they're talking about, hey, how do you network? How do you get to know other people? And the only thing they talked about was top three. That was it. It was like, yeah, just go to the top three meeting, do this and that, da, 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 da. You know, that's where I get to know. I just call Bob over here. Bob, you know, does this for me. And he'll call Jeff over here and blah, blah, blah. And there's all these chiefs talking like this, right? So, I'll, you know, I'll be being me. I raise my hand. I go, hey, what if I'm not interested in doing top three? Is there any other way for me to network? And they both looked at me. And one guy just said, well, if you're not interested in top three, you do your 24 years and thank you for your service. They were just like, done. Like, no, you're not going to make it. Unless you're going to play the game, you're not going to make it. And that's, which, is, that's which is, by the way, fucking ridiculous because – you know, when I look back in my career, you know, I think about you, Mike Helm, Rodney Fitch, Hoppy, who's going to be on the podcast tomorrow to talk training. Awesome. Um, you know, these are people that when you ebb and flow in your career at different bases, that's like genuine organic networking. Like, I know that if I showed up at Lake and Heath when you were there and, and I needed, you know, to coordinate for something, I would be like, oh, Ryan's here. I'm going to hit him up. And then that's like real, it has nothing to do with a, a, a fabricated professional environment where it's a bunch of fucking senior NCOs that are literally just like stroking each other's like uh, career penis of, mm -hmm. in a fucking circle to get to, to like 
elevate themselves in status when it's not real status and it's not a real relationship. Because by the way, being able to fucking coordinate a bake sale in top three, that doesn't build like an actual bond that creates a um, like a demand. Like the amount of times we interact in our career where I stayed late for you, you stayed late for me, we stayed late together. Like that builds a genuine bond between two people that when I ask a favor, you feel like a social indebtedness to me because of what we've been through together. Like you would help me. I like, I have full faith. You would help me. And I, I know that, you know, that I would help you. And that doesn't come from fucking top three bake sales or top three, like, Oh, you made some really good minutes at, from the last meeting. It really captured like, that's not a fucking thing at all. Like who are you leading in a top three? I'm going to shit all over top three because I think it's a good nuts. Good Right. You know, like, so you got a chief senior NCO, you got a chief of seniors and master sergeants. You got the chiefs there who have everybody looking up to them like, oh, your chief, tell us how to do it. Right. You got the seniors who are playing that game, who made senior, and they're trying to get to that chief level. And you got these, you know, master sergeants that are like willing to do anything they can to try to make it up. And like you said, it is one big circle jerk where, okay, senior NCOs, they, you know, all right, just getting a little off topic. When you become a senior NCO, and I'm pretty sure you felt it. There's not a lot of mentorship at that level. When you become a master sergeant, it's like, you're senior NCO. You got it. There you go. Like, I didn't get a lot of mentorship when I first put on master sergeant. I did later in my career, but at the beginning, got nothing, right? So uh, going back to the field. So you, you have everybody who's done the leadership position in this organization, and they're like, hey, we're here to help, you know, the lower ranks. I've never gotten help from top three. I've gotten a lot of burgers. Chief yeah. Burger burned pretty good. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, but, you know, as an airman, as an NCO, the top three has never come to our aid. You know, I've no. never been like, man, I'm really glad that top three is around. But they helped me out, you know, getting through this 12-hour shift after the fifth day of doing it and blah, blah, blah. Like, That's a good point. Like, I've never, like, as a master, a tech, or a staff, like, been aware of somebody in the top three at three in the morning and be like, Hey, let's go talk to him and see if you can call his top three buddy at fuel shop and see if you can get our fucking priority bumped up. Like that's not a fucking, that's not a conversation that happens because the top three is not actual networking. It's careerism incest is all it is. It's who can like put you in a position on a stupid fucking board. So that way you can put it on your EPR to get promoted. It, it yeah. is. It is just the most worthless pile. And I, and I know there might be people listening to this that like think, oh, my top three is different. By the way, it's not. Like, it's, it's not. not. Like, yeah, you're baking cookies for Christmas. There's like some small little things you do. Like you talk about the cheap, cheap burger burn or doing crisp uh, cookies to the airmen in the dorms or whatever. Okay, fine. By the way, you don't need a top three to fucking do that. You can literally just get your NCOs and senior NCOs together in your unit and fucking get it done. Um, but if like, if, if in your mind you're getting defensive at this conversation, um, this is probably not the right uh, medium or uh, content for you. Uh, I, I disagree. I think they need to listen because <laughs> the problem. you're the problem. If you think top three is what makes the Air Force run and you're getting upset about this, you need to listen some more because you're not a real leader. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm retired now. Muzzles off, right? You, you are a dude who's looking out for yourself and that's yeah. all you're doing, okay? Unless, you know, you are you know, putting together, I, I, there's not much a top three organization can do, right? The best thing you can do as a leader is take care of your people, 
Yep. And when you're at a top three meeting and you're all circles or circle jerking each other around, you're not taking care of your people at that point. Okay. I don't care what you come up with. Cookies are great. That's that's what these airmen need that have been on fucking quarantine for the last six months. Let's feed them some cookies so yep. they can go die on the track next month when they have to test or whatever. Yep. Okay. Right. Um, it, you're not helping your people. You're just not. You can network all day. And it just, unless you're going to get me resources, which is yep. going to be people parts, tools, you're not helping. You're not helping the mission. You're helping yourself. So if you're out there and you're getting pissed, listen, because you're the problem. Go back to your shop. Do your people respect you? They talk to you. Do your people ever just hit you up as a text message? Like, hey, man, what's up? Yep. Like, if you don't have that relationship with your people, you're not a leader. That's fair. Straight up. If people cannot call you up out of the blue and know that you're going to care about the problem, you're the problem. You're, you're who are who Chief Wright and General Goldfein were talking about when we said they said we have a leadership issue. You yep. are the problem. Stop being the problem. But the problem is you came up in a system. I get it. Not your fault. We had bad leadership at the time. You yep. made right. You don't know any better. You know, so, Chief Wright, yeah. he fucking hit a grand slam within like two weeks of taking over where he literally said, we're not doing course 14 and 15 anymore. That's done. We're turning all of that shit off. And I'm sure that like ruffled some feathers, especially with Cody, because I think there's like a very much an unspoken sort of culture where you don't affect, you don't change another like living chief master in the air force legacy. If it's like recent. And I think he looked at what the fuck was going on and said, this is stupid. And it is fucking driving people out of the force. And it's the wrong thing. We turned it right off. And um, that was the first time I, I can even remember where a chief master in the Air Force had literally taken action to like immediately enhance the lives of fucking everyone. And it was like, like finger was on the pulse of the enlisted force beautifully. And like Chief Bass, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence. I think she has a good heart and she has great intentions. But right now, like, I don't want to get, I want to get too far on this, but right now, like she's doing a lot of messaging and I like, she needs to fucking hit that grand slam. She needs to do something because the problem is the more she does messaging, the more she says what's, what's going to be, or team, we need to come together. Like chief, Wright Definitely had the messaging he did, but it was, it was immediately backed up by action where he, he took great risk to himself to like get shit done for the people. And I'll tell you what, when I read his bio, when he was like the incoming chief and I saw that he was like dental, I'm like, there's no fucking chance. This guy is going to be worth a shit at all. And then like the first two weeks he, he torched course 14, 15, and I think like two or three weeks later, he torched something else. And I was like, okay, I am all fucking in on this guy. And the uh, chief bass had been talking recently about, uh, the online bullying and trolling, like, yeah, that's yeah. a fucking legitimate problem. Like that should definitely be handled. And, uh, I know she is taking a close look at the culture and maintenance and making sure maintainers are taken care of. But the problem was she led with feel good messaging. And it's like, maintainers are some salty motherfuckers and they are much more impressed by actions than, like hollow thank yous and stuff like that. Like that, that gets them by a little bit and it'll also get the less discerning maintainers. It'll trick them for a little bit that the, the were kind of appreciated, but like she's, she's, she's very much running the risk of alienating a shitload of people. If she doesn't start doing some pretty drastic changes, like what chief Wright did. 
that's my miniature bass soapbox. Yeah, yeah, the, the bass base thing, the whole all that deal, kind of, kind of took her off track. You're absolutely correct. She needs to make adjustments. You know, like I, I, I'm gonna say it, like the PT test. I, I think it needs to go. I think it's pointless. If you're in a, you know, we we were in before PT tests were a thing. I remember mm-hmm. the big boys, right? They were big dudes. But, but you know what? They could crew a fucking jet and they could deploy, right? They could do all that shit. I just, I don't get the PT test. We've had it around. It was, you know, it was after, you know, for all you newer kids, why the PT test came around. When we went into, uh, you know, after September 11th and we started deploying, pictures started coming out of just these huge, fat Air Force guys, man, yep. just gigantic guardsmen, just can't, couldn't fit in the uniforms. And then it looked bad. And we came out with every airman's a warrior, all that bullshit. Yeah, right. And then we started the PT test. And it's just like, it's a, it's, all it is is a filter. It's a force shaping tool. We know it. Everybody knows it. Okay. It has nothing to do with health. It, it, it's just a force shaping tool. You know, we're technical experts. I think the Air Force lost its way when we decided that we wanted to be warriors. We were going to be the best technical experts and we were all going to be warriors. Yep. I'm sorry I said it, and I'll keep saying it. If uh, when we were in, if Staff Sergeant McGee and Senior Airman Ryan were given guns to go kill the enemy, we've lost the war. Yep. If maintainers are carrying a gun and fighting off bad guys, the war is gone. Okay. Yep. Never. I'm sorry. I'm never going to be. Well, I'm retired now, but when I was in, if I'm shooting a gun in anger to protect, you know, life and property, the war is over. That means the army got killed, the Marines got killed, security forces are killed, and it's down to the maintainers and we're throwing wrenches and shit. Yep. Yeah, it, it's that's a dumb, dumb That's box. a monkey-ass shit if you're throwing wrenches. Like, you just yeah, yeah. <laughs> gave the most primitive description of a crew chief ever. Right? Yeah, so it's just like, you know, those are the changes that if you want to be in the pantheon of, like, the top chief and chief writers up there, you need to make those wholesale changes because right now, what do you see? You know, I'm, you know, I'm on the Reddits and whatever and the social medias and everything. And everybody's making like, hey, January 1st, here we go. PT test. People yep. are going to be dying and shit. And it's just like, it's, a, it's obviously a stressor. If a kid is making a meme about it, he's taking effort to, you know, yep. make these memes or whatever. He's obviously thinking about it. And everybody knows this is going to be a deal. We've flown and we have operated for the last eight months during this pandemic. No PT test. No PT. Yep. Right? We have done our job. We're still Absolutely. deploying. We're still putting fucking bombs on bad guys. PT has nothing to do with that. And I'll compromise on the PT thing because I, I believe working out is important just for, for you know, overall well-being. But put it in the fucking duty day. Don't, yeah. don't create this, this career impacting requirement and then work your guys endless fucking hours and then demand that they go to college off duty, demand that they volunteer off duty, and then demand that they work out off duty. Like, I know individually those don't seem like they take a lot of time, but when you put it all together with the sustained ops tempo, with the demand that the fleet reach 80% fighter readiness, like, and there's a mental health crisis going on, like, like you, you have to be able to recognize that when you aggregate all of those individual requirements, you're stealing the, like now they're down to, do I interact with my spouse or do I sleep? Those are, that's the fucking choice I'm left with. And a lot of people will try to do both or they, or they won't have time to, to do the PT. So if you want to make PT an actual requirement, quit stealing airmen's time 
by not giving them duty time to fucking do it. That is, yeah. and that is offensive. It is offensive to anyone that can clearly see. Because by the way, if you can't afford the duty time, because you're like, well, we need to get these jet fixed. Guess what? That means PT is not actually fucking important, right? Exactly. The fact that it gets shelved regularly means it's not important. Because when COVID hit, did we stop stop flying and keep PTing? Or did we stop PTing and keep flying? Yeah. Like, it's not a fucking complicated priority thing to do here. This can all be fixed with one word. One word. Change AFI. Commanders will incorporate PT. Yeah. The nine-hour, eight-hour duty. Because, you know, we got two old heads talking, so I'm going to keep talking about back in the day. When we started PT, what did we do? It was an 11-and-a-half-hour day. Yep. We did an hour and a half prior to our freaking, you know, 10-hour scheduled day. So, it... it you know, that's how we got it. That's how we, you know, so now, you know, AFI say you will only schedule a nine hour workday, blah, blah, blah. Put Will in there. Will. Because right now it should. Yep. We should do a lot of things, but we don't. But the it AFI, used to be Will. It used to be Commanders to be. Will give uh, an hour and a half, three times a week for, for PT. And then Commanders were like, hey, we can't do the mission and the PT at the same time. Like, all right, we're going to change it to should. And it's like, okay. Exactly. So you. You right there, as an Air Force, big Air Force, decided that PT is a should thing, but you're going to take stripes, you're going to kick kids out, yep. you're going to ruin careers over it, but it's a should thing. Yep. So there you go. All right. PT, done. Keep <laughs> asking, listening. That's, that, if you want to make an impact, that's what you do. Get rid of PT. Security forces, it, people that actually need to run, shoot, and dodge. Yeah, and dodge, I talked you know, about that. Oh, shoot, I think I talked about it in the careerism uh, episode, like two episodes ago, where yeah. it was like security forces, like and, and and like special ops. PT is literally what keeps them alive and is yeah. absolutely required to do, do their job. But also, like it's incorporated in their duty day. You find yeah. combat controllers and TAC P, they're at the yeah. gym. That is a hundred percent their fucking duty. Period. Yeah, Lake and Heath, I uh, was lucky enough to kind of get to know the 56th Rescue Squadron out there. And, you know, you had the, uh, you know, dudes. And they had their own gym. They had their own physical trainers. They, it was their job. Yep. And when they would PT test with the, the normies, <laughs> it was laughable to them. They yep. would just be like, this is a joke. This is my warm-up. Yep. And, that's, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, look, I, I'm a maintainer, okay? My knees are bad. You know, yep. this hurts. Blah, blah, blah. I got hydraulic fluid all over me. That I, don't expect me to run a mile and a half, man. Yep. You know, it, I need to fix that jet. Yep. If the jet's a mile and a half away, okay, it might take me 15 minutes to get there. All right, yep. right. You know, make it assigned to the job. And the jobs that need it already have it. So yep. it, it, it's a pointless exercise. It is. Yeah. Especially right. when, um, and I, I think there's I think there's a lot of arguments that created of, oh, well, you know, it, it creates a healthy lifestyle. But and I, I don't have the um, bureaucratic stamina to file more fucking FOIA requests than I've already done. But I'd be really interested to see like I can't like all of the injuries associated with people PTing or doing PT tests when they're not prepared or when you have uh, no offense to any squadron PTLs that are listening. But some of them aren't personal trainers and they're literally just people that were like genetically in shape. And they're like, oh, you get good PT scores. I want you to teach people how to PT. And they don't fucking know anything about like developing a, a healthy fitness regimen or how to, you know, give a regimen to somebody that's out of shape to, to work them into shape without them like blowing a hamstring out doing wind sprints and shit. Um, and it's like- I don't want to but I, I'm pretty sure you remember we had a big dude back at the 310th 
Darden Helm, this guy with failing PT tests, and this dude would come in after PT with Jack in the Box, McDonald's, yeah. and Jandy grabbed it and he threw it in the trash. And he said, don't fucking eat that. You know, and that's the thing. It's like, we can PT these guys to death, but if they go home and they just eat garbage, you, you can't out-train a bad diet. So. And what's interesting is, is like, think about how much shit works against you because you have a fucking snack bar in your AMU full of pop tarts and fucking like processed sugar foods. Like, and you know, don't get me wrong. Like when it's three o'clock in the morning and you're fucking hungry, you'll eat a fucking uh, Philly cheesesteak sandwich. that's like terrible for you, but like, it's not our culture. And I'm, I'm curious of all the injuries we've sustained from doing PT tests. Did we really stave off healthcare expenses of strokes and heart attacks and all the other sort of things? Um, I don't know because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody's A, tracking it and B, I'm not going to fucking go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but, you know, that's one argument. And the second argument is, you know, exercising is good for mental health and endorphins. Sure. When your family's livelihood isn't like reliant on you doing it and also not while you're working 12 hour shifts and then trying to like exercise, like people that are out of shape and are afraid they're going to fail. Like they're not getting like a healthy endorphin release when they're going to the gym. Their fucking anxiety is through the roof because they feel like they're asked, they're, they're, they're asked to do the impossible between maintaining the mission, maintaining their relationships, maintaining their finances, and then maintaining their, their physical health. Like it's not fucking possible. And they're not like getting a good endorphin release because they're just fucking terrified of it. And then they're also doing like what I, what I had a problem with uh, when my uh, PD schedule wasn't strong. Like I got a, sh- a shoulder impingement but I kept doing pushups because it's like, I need to be able to do pushups. And every time I do pushups, it get worse and worse and worse. And what I'm doing is I'm making my fucking impingement worse because I'm now making my back and my chest asymmetrical. So like, that's not good, but they don't fucking test my back. So I just focused on the chest. I made my impingement worse. Um, I mean, that's like, you know, very tangential to the conversation, but I guess the, the important thing is, is like the PT program is not well run. It, it's not useful for the mission. It's not good for mental health and it's not good for fucking physical health. Uh, it, it adds no value at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with all the points. I, I don't want to keep beating PT. Guys. I think <laughs> <laughs> I could go all day. Like I said, I just got a job with a personal trainer. That's my wheelhouse, but we all know it's bad. It needs to change. I'm trying to look at our notes too, to see if there's yeah. a, uh, well, I guess, uh, well, shoot, we're probably at like, 45 minutes I, I usually start a clock when we start uh recording um but and then also if, we, if you think of anything we i can have you back on we can do like a follow-up episode yeah. too but like is there any is there anything else you want to touch on topic wise i mean we have like up to 15 minutes or more or right. you can do like a final wrap-up yeah i just think you know like you know 20 years in right we, we did our 20 and at the end we kind of get to look back and you know you have those guys that affect your career you know you named off a lot of them at the top man it was helm fitch yourself you know, Hoppy, uh, Wright, uh, uh, Tibbetts, you know, like all these guys that shaped my career, you know, and uh, I get called old school a lot. You know, I'm a very Mike Helm, you know, used to rip me up, used to rip us all up. I do the same thing to my guys when they mess up. And, you know, I, I don't want to get on my high horse and be like, I was the best leader. I tried to take care of my guys. And it's a very simple thing. You know, give your guys time. Like when your dudes call you up and they're like, Hey, I might be late because my kid, blah, blah, blah. Like, cool, man. Thanks for the heads up. If it happens every day, then you got to ask questions. But like, I think that we trip too much. We, we have, we don't even blink an eye when our guys stay three, four hours late. 
Yep. Not even. Not even. We don't blink an eye. You know, but if the kid's two minutes late, five minutes late, hemmed up. He's on my fucking mind. You know, and I I have yelled at people for being late, but it's usually a repeated tardiness kind of thing. And right now, the Air Force is getting to a better place. It is. You know, I touched on at the beginning. We have that middle management problem, right? The middle management is always going to be there. They're going to block some things. But if you're an NCO and you're a senior NCO and you have people working underneath you, you're between middle management and your people. Be willing to take some shit from above. That's what a good leader will do. A good leader will be like, hey, why don't we have everybody here? It's like, I cut them out. We didn't have a lot of work. Well, this popped up. I'm like, well, okay, this popped up. That's why I got these five guys. They'll work it. You know, and just take that heat. It's not hard to take care of your people. And the best way to do that is to give them time because that's the one thing that we take away from all our airmen. Yep. All the stuff we talk about today came down to time. Yep. We work a lot of time on the flight line. PT, it takes away time from this, you know. Uh, course 14, 15, what did that take away? It took away time. Time is a finite resource and we ask our airmen to sacrifice that above everything else. So give your people time. It's not that hard. Like, you know, you, I don't know how many CTO days I've given out. Like, especially in the last three years then, man, like somebody called me up and they're just like, Hey, I need, I'm like, cool. Just take the day off. We're in a position where we can do that. Right. Um, but when I talk to, I'm going to say my non-er friend, sorry, non-ers, you know, whatever. But when I talk to people in the non-maintenance career fields and they tell me what they get in trouble, I had a friend, who got an LOR, a career affecting LOR, because, oh, that's something I want to chat. All right, we got 15 minutes. Yeah, 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 go that. Okay, so we have a career affecting LOR where she is now losing strats to make tech because she disrespected her flight chief. How did she disrespect the flight chief? She had a disagreement. That's it. She disagreed with what they said. She voiced her opinion. And instead of that senior NCO being like, okay, I hear you, blah, blah, blah. Let's go back and forth. Let's figure it out. She wrote her paperwork, career altering paperwork. And it's just like, what kind of like thin skinned oh, yeah. person where if somebody's coming at you with a disagreement and you telling me you do not have the mental ability, acuity, whatever you want to call it, to take that person's argument, ingest it, and then go, hey, this is why we're still going to do what we're doing and explain it to a person. Then you're not a leader, you're a manager. Also, right? possibly they could have been fucking wrong. Yes. And going down the wrong path would have like harmed airmen in the mission. So, yeah, the point I want to get on, this is like, I'm glad. um, Thank you. All right. So our new way of promotion is is just dumb. Okay. For tech sergeants to be at a board to make master that that is dumb. Just going to call it what it is. Okay. You are asking a board of three chiefs or whatever it is. We're going to look at EPR for about 30 seconds to make a determination on somebody's career. I can see it from master to senior because there's not as many master sergeants making senior. And it's easy to tell right away, all right, this guy's done all the things he makes. For tech sergeant, my biggest thing is you're always going to be able to identify your best people. Stratification, is, that's the easiest thing. This guy's got all the rewards. Da, da, da. How do you determine the number one non-selectee from the last selectee. Tell me what the determination is because it used to be easy. This guy scored more points on their PFE SKT, but now it's all born. So if this guy has firewall five EPR, whatever we call it now, all the way to the right. And this guy has firewall five EPR. What determines the difference? And I well, think- go, No, go ahead. Yeah, I think, I, 
I totally get it at the top levels because you're going to have awards and whatever. I sat on many boards, stratting, and it's pretty sad because I don't even read your EPR. I look at the right side. I see quarterly award. I see yearly award, blah, 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 all that stuff. That's where it gets you the strats. Rest of EPR doesn't even matter. Get that for the top guys. Totally get it. But when we're talking about text to masters, which is still a lot of people testing, we are not giving those guys a fair shake at promoting by taking away the testing element because now it's all board and the board never gives you feedback. You don't get feedback at the end going, Hey, this is why you scored this board score. You just get a board score that says, here you go. You didn't make it sucks to be you. And I I just don't think it works for the tech sergeants. I think for master sergeants is senior NCO. Fine. We get that at senior NCO. We all know what we should be doing to try to make senior. I I think part of it's also because I, I'm probably just speaking for myself. Master Sergeant's a very satisfying rank to end at, well, too. There you, you go. I mean? Yeah. Like making, making master, being a senior NCO, getting that roof on. Like, you're like, yeah, I'd love to make senior chief. But at the end of the day, my, like, my shadow box looks good. Like, I like the way yeah, it looks. Like, it's got yeah. the roof on it. Right. And I think tech sergeant, which, by the way, when we joined retiring as a tech, it had no fucking stigma to it. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, you know, in the last 20 years kind of become manifest. But um, I think part of it's also that the the board change, if it's anything, if the tech board is anything like the master board and the senior board, the board gets a mandate from big blue of what they want to prioritize or what's more important this year. Like we really want to see people who have done senior joint enlisted PME. We want to see, and you don't necessarily know that, for the last year, you don't know that that's what the vision is. It's just somebody shits out what's important. Maybe this year it's important, um, you know, top three involvement, you know, yeah. for Christ's sake. But yeah. you don't like you don't know. So what happens is the board gets this weird mandate, and the board's populated with different people every time. So you get like different individual judgments, and the board is populated by the middle management people that we just explained are fucking um, like developmentally career developmentally disabled by a previously fucked up system and they're the ones sitting on the board like they we've created a a a gate a careerist gate that is a bit of a black box you don't know what the magic combination is this year and it's in my experience it's almost wholly focused on non-mission elements because, you know, I'm sure most people have listened to, if you haven't, you should listen to the careerism podcasts after, after their thing is episode 16. But we really kind of deconstructed that the Air Force steals your time to make the mission happen or, you know, your duty day to make the mission happen. And none of that has to do with promotion because everyone gets the same bullets. Everyone stuffed the motor. Everyone got the repeat recurve. Everybody got the eight-hour fix rate. And then if you want your individual goal promotion, you need schooling, you need volunteerism, you need this and stuff and the PT. So like the Air Force will forever get their mission goals met through duty time. But if you want to get promoted, you got to give your off duty time and and then you're gating it with the top three people is the only like you got to flush the whole fucking thing down the toilet. That's that's really what I'm trying to like get across. It's like we got to get rid of this middle management. Like, you know, I've seen how many chiefs have you seen get fired and they get a different job? Like they, they couldn't run their unit and then they go to a higher place. Like chiefs that fail, retire. Look, you're yep. going to get good pay. I'm sorry. You, I would love chief retirement pay. I'm happy with master sergeant, but 
Mm-hmm. Retire, dude. Like, if you're getting fired, constantly moved, and there's a bunch of Chiefs or, you know, E9s I know out there that get moved every fucking year, retire. That, that's how we fix this. This is how we get the Air Force back to being a functioning thing where we're doing the mission, we're taking care of the people. All the stuff that Chief Wright and Chief Bass are, you know, what Chief Wright was trying to do, what Chief Bass is trying to accomplish now, that's how you do it. You got to yep. get rid of this new management because as long as those guys are holding the keys, and that's a great term, they're gatekeeping. Yep. That senior NCO rank now, you're going to get the same senior NCOs yep. that are you are. You're going to get the same people, the volunteerism, the careerism, and we're never going to break free of having our extracurricular activities be more important than the mission, which has never should have been the case. And I, and I want to go back to one more thing before we wrap up. You know, you were talking about as a master, like your job was to filter the bullshit above and protect your people. And in many cases, it was at some personal slash professional risk to you. Like that's a good, in my opinion, that's a good master sergeant. That's a good senior CEO. And you encouraged every, every that's leadership. That's what every master should be doing. And here's what I'll say on that. The Air Force is going to promote a set percentage of master sergeants uh, every fucking year, no matter what. If, if, if they're all... If everyone, if every master sergeant gets a fucking DUI, 21% of those fucking DUI master sergeants are getting promoted, right? Like it's a fact. So here's what I would say. We need to create a culture where master sergeants are putting their people first. And I'll say all leaders, but we'll, we'll talk master sergeant specifically here. They're putting their people first. And if all of them are fucking doing it, then 21% are still going to get fucking promoted. That's the worst part about our promotion system is it's all great on a curve. You walk in the room, you're competing against everybody else in the fucking room. And if everybody is fucking dumb this year, we'll talk about test taking. If everybody's fucking dumb, the cutoff score is ridiculously low. And that that gets really dangerous because then you're, you know, risk promoting someone fucking awful and terrible. But um, I think if every master sergeant refocuses less on top three careerism and making themselves look good to stand on the backs of their peers and their subordinates and instead refocuses on taking care of their people and being good leaders. If everyone fucking did that, if everyone fucking did that, there would be a better place and 21% are still going to get fucking promoted. And that could definitely be you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Final thoughts, Jason. Yes, man. You know, the air force, it is what it is. We've all, we're all in it. That's why we're listening to this. Right. And while we're on here, you know, as, as Chris just said, just concentrate on your people, take care of your people. Uh, Sergeant Helm used to say it all the time. Take care of your people, but take care of the mission. Done. It was true back then. It's still true now. Whatever job you do, whatever, you know, whatever you, your piece of the Air Force pie is, take care of your people. You will get taken care of. But they will take care of you. It's true. Okay. Well, thanks, Jason. I appreciate your time. And uh, if you think of anything between now and like a few weeks, let me know. We can come on and circle back around. I'm retiree life right now. I got a job starting next month, so I got nothing but time. All right. All right. Yeah, let me know. We'll we'll set something up if you want to circle back or if, if you have an epiphany and you're like, ah, oh, that sucks too. Uh, but otherwise, thank you for your time and adios. That's the show. I can't thank you enough for reading, listening, and watching and supporting everything that I've done with 20 Years Done. If you're new to this podcast, I recommend you go to 20yearsdone.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20yearsdone.